The Truth News Network. In a time when narrative supersedes truth, when facts are the enemy, in a time where even Orwell would look at things and shake his head in disbelief, in a time when it takes backbone to stand up to the slings and arrows of outrageous deception, thank all that's holy, you have a voice. TNN, the Truth News Network, and Dan Newman. Well, that was pretty demonstrative of Pete Moss. What an introduction this morning. I guess he's getting the hackles up as we head for the weekend. Yeah, that's right. It's Friday. We've got a full weekend in front of us. And as we're getting closer to the summertime, at least here in the South, the summer things are beginning to take over the consciousness of everybody. We're thinking, you know, lots of soccer, lots of baseball, lots of sun (laughs) in our state, lots of humidity. Well, I hope you're doing good today, and I hope you've got a really good weekend ahead of you. Going into the weekend, we want to arm you with some facts about a lot of important issues that you may not be hearing these stories elsewhere, but they're important to us all. Hey, news is important to us all. Getting good news is really important to us. And we've got some good news, but we've got some pretty nasty things to share with you this morning. I mean, really, pretty nasty things. The opening story is just going to blow your mind. And then we're going to hear from the former president, Barack Obama. Also, Nicole Wallace. Do you know who she is? She is a anchor for CNN. I know this may surprise a lot of people, but there is an anchor or two or three or four or 10 or 15 at CNN that really are far, far far, far left. And what she has to say is just really shocking. Elon Musk and Twitter in the big news this morning. Later, probably the first part of our second hour today, we're getting into some information, some news that is going to excite some of you about Twitter and about Elon Musk. So you want to get started? I told you we had a a different kind of nasty story to start the show with today. A group of political action committees, that's PACs, that are affiliated with plaintiff side trial law firms, they made a donation, a slight donation, of $17.5 million. And guess where all that money went? To left-wing candidates and left-wing causes after those firms received some very lucrative government contracts, according to a recent report by Alliance for Consumers. Now, Alliance called this web of PACs, they gave it their own name, the Shady Trial Lawyers PAC. It involves politicians handing out big, big, big public contracts to trial lawyers who then give millions of dollars to liberal political campaigns. It's the old quid pro quo thing, right? There's a game that's being played here where these law firms swoop in, sign themselves up to sweetheart deals that feed the political money machine. And at the end of the day, the people who get the most hurt are everyday consumers like you and me, everyday taxpayers like you and me, who are footing the bill for a political money game. So who's in the middle of all of this? Well, it's AAJ Pack 
which is an organization that's tied to the American Association for Justice, which is a trial lawyer's advocacy group. AAJ PAC, the Truth and Justice Fund Company, and various justice PACs are closely tied to plaintiff-side trial firms that are fueled by money, go figure, that they get from contracts with state and local governments. Alliance for Consumers' last report focused on the shady eight law firms that donated $15 million to pro-Democrat groups after they got big contracts with state governments. All of this heretofore has just flown below the radar screen. Between 2017 and this year, the shady trial lawyers PAC reportedly donated $17.5 million bucks on behalf of Democrat organizations. Two million of that spent in the last 15 months alone. A hundred percent of the independent expenditures they recorded with the Federal Election Commission, a hundred percent, went in support of Democratic candidates for the Senate. Ninety-nine percent of the overall money went to left-wing committees, Democratic committees. And to locate where the money went is equally as telling. So the PAC's money went to far-left groups like America Votes. America Votes prides itself as the coordination hub of the progressive community. In other words, you send us the money and we'll choose where it should go. We'll seed the candidates and the other causes that we think best fit your ideals. As no surprise, there's an abortion group, Emily's List, also received hundreds of thousands of bucks from the Shady Trial Lawyers Pack. Another is the National Democratic Redistricting Committee, which is led by former President Barack Obama's former Attorney General Eric Holder. Finally, the Shady Trial Lawyers PACs reportedly donated a half million bucks to Priorities USA Action, a nonprofit that focuses on mobilizing progressive voters. 99% of the money goes to Democratic causes, to left-wing causes, super ideological causes that would really be offensive and upsetting to your everyday consumer, your everyday citizen who's getting a bad deal, probably doesn't have values that align with where this money's going. Now remember, this is quid pro quo. Federal government, give these lawyers these big contracts. And then what happens? The lawyers turn around and donate money back to the federal government that gives them these big contracts. Democrats that are running for office. So what does all this mean? It means that you and I, American taxpayers, we very honestly send our tax dollars to the IRS and then the federal government, various agencies around. I mean, there are hundreds of different agencies, hundreds of different contracts for a hundred different things, and a hundred's not the right number. It's way more than that. But the bottom line is, it's just nothing more than a funnel. A funnel. It's a way to put money in the process, go around and cut all the corners, and get it to causes that you want to prevail in the upcoming election. And every two years, we have federal elections, folks. It's not just a one-time thing. This is real. This has been happening already. 
This is the kind of stuff that makes an impact, an under-the-table impact. And it's corruption at the highest level. Now let me just throw in a little editorial piece in this. This kind of stuff has got to stop. It's got to stop, and there's only one way it's going to stop. If we stop the free flow of this kind of money. What's it going to take to get there? It's going to take a bunch of people in Washington, D.C., that so-called or representatives that we send up there to represent us. How many of you like the idea of this process that I just shared with you that has been going on? If you like it and you, you want it to continue, raise your hand. I'm looking, raise your hand. Nobody's raising their hands. Why is that? We don't want our money to be spent this way. And worse than that, we don't want federal contracts going to trial law firms. The United States government employs thousands of attorneys. They're on our payroll. If we have legal issues of of the federal government, we need to use our own people, the ones that we pay, the ones that know what we think, that know what our policies are. We don't need to go hire these big trial law firms and overpay them with these contracts just so that they can turn around and give thousands, millions of dollars, 17 and a half million in this one case to an entity that all they do is turn around and spread it around to these far-left groups. That's got to stop. That should be job one in the upcoming midterm campaign and the subsequent elections. Every member of the United States House of Representatives, all 435, their seat is up for grabs every two years. In 2024, they will be, once again, running for re-election or some retiring and new ones trying to get in to get those seats. And see, 2024, every four years, we have that and then we have a presidential election at the same time. But the midterms, which is what's coming up this November, the midterms are extremely critical regarding the base, the foundation of what our government is supposed to be doing and how it's supposed to operate. These are the kinds of things that the American people have to just wake up and get after your representative. Do you know who is your congressman or congresswoman that represents you in your district? Have you ever talked to them? Have you ever spoken to them? Have you ever sent them a note, a text, an email? Have you ever been to a meeting? Do they know who you are? We all have an obligation to make sure they know who we are. They know we're watching how they vote, what they do, and what they don't do. And we need to learn where they are fundamentally on all of the issues that are important to us. I had a conversation yesterday, about a 20-minute conversation, with my congressman, Mike Johnson. Now, i got to be honest with you, on almost every issue... We're in lockstep. But I have issues with some of the things that Congressman Johnson has done and has not done. And you know what? 
Every one of those he knows about. We have a relationship. When you know somebody and not just know about them, it makes difference in the way you communicate and how effective that is. Just because I do this show and just because I've I've been in this district where I live for a long, long, long time, that doesn't give me an inside scoop to know my congressman. I purposely, when he ran the first time, I went to him to make sure I knew him and he knew me and he knew what my fundamental positions are. I'm a true conservative. I'm not a registered Republican. In fact, some of the things the Republican Party stands on, I'm not in total support of. But that's the party that I most identify with the policies and the ideals that they espouse. I don't vote for party people. I vote for issues. I vote for people that I think and am confident are going to do a a good job for me. I have in the past voted for a Democrat. When I thought that Democrat had what is best for me, my family, and the people around us at that particular time on that particular issue. It's not about falling in line with a political party. It is for millions of Americans. And that's one reason why we're in the funk that we're in that we just can't seem to crawl out of. So I'll just make a challenge to you. The House is not in session. Uh this week, and they weren't last week. Why don't you pick up the phone today? Your member of the House of Representatives is probably still in town where you live, or at least the big city and the district in which you live. Let them know where you feel on one or two specific issues, and there are plenty of them out there for you to weigh in on. I mean, golly, (laughs) we've got this massive inflation we have this war going on at the southern border. But you know what? It's not It's not happening at the southern border. The war is not. It's happening in Washington, D.C. We have a bunch of anti-law people in power that thumb their noses at the rule of law and the Constitution. I talked to Congressman Johnson about this yesterday. I've had a previous conversation with him about it. He came on this show and talked about it about six weeks ago. We have a president and we have an administration full of people that dislike our Constitution. They think it's out of date. They think we don't need to abide by it, even though they took oaths to defend and protect the Constitution of the United States when they took the job that we're paying them to do. They lied. Many of them lied. They don't believe in it. If they did, they would be enforcing the Constitution and its provisions. They're not. Alejandro Mayorka, Secretary of Homeland Security, he needs to be impeached or fired immediately. He can do both. He can be impeached. He can be kicked out of office through impeachment. And Joe Biden can fire him immediately on the spot. Why should he be fired? He is purposely overseeing this assault on our nation and our Constitution every day single day. But he's not the only one involved in this. Who else is? Everybody in the White House from the top down, president on down, they're complicit in this. These are impeachable offenses. 
anything that suborns any part of the Constitution, anybody in office that does that is creating impeachable offenses. I talked to Congressman Johnson about it. In fact, I asked him six weeks ago. We had a conversation. We aired part of it. I said, what can we do, Mike? What can we do about this? And he said, quite honestly, we don't have a lot of options based upon the structure in the Constitution and the rule of law about a president. We can't just go in and say, hey, look, you can't do this or we're going to do this or we're going to do that. The people elect presidents. The people elect vice presidents. The people are the only ones that can remove them if they don't voluntarily leave office. I would suggest sometime between now and the 2024 presidential election, Joe Biden needs to make a call. Maybe it would be Jill Biden making the call to Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and say, listen, guys, Joe's going to have to step down for medical reasons. I know that would put Kamala Harris in the White House. I get all that. I, To be quite honest with you, I don't see any way she can make it worse than Joe Biden is making it now. This era that we're in right now, it will be, if the historians are honest, this will be one of the darkest days regarding leadership in our government that this nation has ever seen. We have 100% authoritarian rule going on from the White House. Joe Biden is an authoritarian. His administration is an authoritarian, espousing authoritarian policies every day, conducting themselves as authoritarians. They are not part of this representative democracy. They are trying to kill our representative democracy. How do you kill it? You slip these little things in, these processes that they're using now, and if the people don't push back and stop you, they're just going to keep on going. You know where this, there's a simple historical example of how this works? 1931. 1931 in Europe, in Germany. Adolf Hitler, he came up as a very fine young man, came up through the military. He did a great job in the military. Everybody liked him. He did a good job overall regarding military ideals. People were drawn to him. And he very quietly began to steal little bitty pizzas of the government of Germany. He began to draw a group of people close to him that supported him, supported his his ideals. He didn't go into the government as a Nazi. He didn't go in to the government with any hatred, visible hatred for Jewish people. He didn't do that. But he very quietly and surreptitiously made a move. And he got through it all. He went all the way through the process and got far enough in where the people just kept letting him do it, letting him do it, not pushing back, not making a stink, until finally he had everybody's ear. 
And when he did that, he began to flip on the switches of authoritarian rule. And before the people of Germany even realized it, they were living in an autocracy, a Nazi-controlled country. Do you think those people, when this was going on, the majority of the German people through the 1930s on up to 1938-39, the beginning of World War II, do you think they did this or they knew this was going on and they approved of it? No. We literally are in a situation that looks eerily just like 1930s Germany did. This time it's not just one guy. It's a group of people at the top that have seized control. And every day, they're getting more and more and more control of our government. While we sleep, while we rest, while we are just looking ahead, we're not doing anything. We're, yeah, we're, we're griping, but we're not doing the things necessary to change it. And we're hoping. Let's hope that in 2024, we can make a change and get our ideals back, our American constitutional ideals. We can get them back. We can get somebody else in the White House. Do you realize what kind of damage is going to happen between now and then? He's been in office barely a year and a few months. Look at what has happened on his watch in just a little over a year. Don't think that it can't be a whole lot worse in two more years. Because I promise you, it will be. It will be. It's getting worse every day. And he pushes, and he pushes, and he pulls, and he turns his head. He ignores, or at least he won't admit, so many things are out there. Whoever is pulling the strings of this, and Joe Biden, in my opinion, is nothing more than a puppet. He's a placeholder. And he is just puppeting what he's told to puppet. All they're trying to do is keep the United States on this downhill slide into authoritarianism. And they feel like if they can get us far along enough along before 2024, and there will be a change, hopefully. It's not a sure thing, folks. Look at the last election in 2020. It was pretty obvious that Joe Biden didn't have the support of enough American people to be elected. Donald Trump had the support of those people. But somehow, someway, not in the voting process itself, itself, with the exception of one piece of it, looked a little speckly. That was a mail-in ballot voting. We knew going into that. It was rife for corruption. The Carter Committee, back President, former President Jimmy Carter was a chair of a committee that was put together to analyze fraud in our elections. This is back in the early 2000s. And the number one thing they came back with, Jimmy Carter pinned it. The most dangerous thing that opens up the door for fraud in elections is mail-in ballots. And what did Nancy Pelosi do? She pushed, she pushed, she pushed. Oh, these COVID-19 things. People don't want to get out. They can't go to the polls. They don't want to interact with other people. We can't take away their right to vote. What do we do? 
we create this scenario where we get a bunch of mail-in ballots out there. In Clark County, Nevada, Las Vegas, tens of thousands of ballots at apartment complexes just thrown out there in the mail system locations. Thousands of them. No way to track them. No, nobody knows what happened to them. State by state by state, in many states, more ballots were counted than people that were registered to vote. It's one thing after another. Destruction of a democracy doesn't happen overnight. We look back at World War II. We had Japan and the United States fighting in the Pacific. We had Japan and the United States and other countries in Europe fighting in World War II. We were in two wars at the same time. We were fighting to protect our representative democracy that both entities we were fighting wanted to take it away from us, both of them. There's one big difference in the United States today from the United States in 1941. You know what the big difference is? Everybody, everybody in the nation at the beginning of World War II, especially when Japan attacked Pearl Harbor, every American stood up and said, what can I do for the nation? Story about my wife's aunt lived in Spring Hill, Louisiana. The war broke out. She left her family. She went to Fort Worth and worked in a factory that was building planes for the government. Women, teenagers, adult men, by the hundreds of thousands, volunteered. And that's in addition to the ones that physically went to the Pacific and went to Germany to fight against these two evil entities. Do we have the same kind of commitment now as Americans? I don't think we do, in large part. And with the politics that Joe Biden brought in, and it was here before, but it was pushed away, pushed away, pushed away for a long, long time, he came in and opened the door. Lawlessness, it's okay. Criminality, it's okay. Teaching kids things in five- and six-year-old and seven-year-old kindergarten classes that only adults, that are parents, should be talking to them about and deciding when these kids are old enough to hold on to it. We have identity problems. We actually, we have Furbies. It's okay, we are being told by the CDC, for some children that self-identify with animals. It's okay. We are normalizing stupidity. We are normalizing anti-law in every area of our country. People are making abnormal things normal. And if you don't agree with them, the woke crowd, you're canceled. You're done. They'll take your job. They'll ruin you in the city or town in which you live. Take away everything that you have, your legitimacy. Folks, that's what happens in authoritarian countries. Look at what happened in Venezuela. Do you know that 15 years ago, Venezuela was in the top three wealthiest countries on the planet? 
and it was principally because of all their fossil energy they had underground there. They were a Democrat country, a Democratic country. They were structured very similar to the United States. And then the authoritarians saw a way to swoop in there and steal everything that country had. We had American oil companies that were headquartered there, that had built plants there. We spent tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars in the infrastructure in Venezuela. And in one failed swoop, one authoritarian leader, a dictator, stood up and said, we like what's happening with our energy sector in Venezuela. So here's what we're going to do. You know all that infrastructure you built, the Americans built? We're going to take it over. It no longer belongs to these oil companies. It belongs to the Venezuelan people now. They nationalized everything, took everything. Of course, they had no, no technology, no understanding, no work ethic, no experience. They didn't know anything about it, and look what's happened to Venezuela in less than 15 years. Look what's happened in the United States in less than two years. Is that what you really want? Is that the way you want our country to go? Are you committed to that? Are you committed to anything regarding our country? If we're not, we're destined to get exactly what we're allowing to come our way, period. If you don't stand up, who will stand up? If you don't say something, who will say something? You know what? The people on the other side, the authoritarianists, they're speaking and they're speaking loudly. They're speaking louder than you, pretty much louder than me. We sit back and hope that all of this inflation stuff, all of the madness, looking at what's happening regarding our national security, folks, do you know, once again, our military is being dumbed down by a president? Same thing Barack Obama did. Our military went to basically nothing. We became not the most powerful military force on the planet, which we had maintained for a long time. We moved down behind Russia and China under Barack Obama and Joe Biden. Biden's taking us right down the same road again. We used to be in pretty much every one of the categories where they grade the power, the might, the economic strength, social strength, governmental strength of a nation. We may be still in the top six or seven or eight, but we're not even close to number one anymore. Why is that? Because citizens have let hardcore bureaucratic, self-appointed autocrats come in and take over our government one sector at a time. Is it too late to make changes? No, it's not. The longer we wait, the more difficult it's going to be if we can ever pull together the chutzpah to join together with our fellow citizens that are committed to the rule of law and constitutional and representative republic ideals, ideologies, and structure we're going to start going faster and faster down the hill that we're already sliding down. It won't take much. 
and we're going to be looking at everything being operated and controlled. Everything. Businesses, schools, all kinds of things. Every sector of our society will be controlled by our government. And it starts, it starts by allowing all the things that we're talking about today that we've talked about every day this week, letting them happen. And we will have to stop saying, that's not my responsibility. I don't have any power or authority to step in. Yeah, you do. Nothing's going to happen to fix it unless the American people make a determination to fix it. As my good friend from New Mexico says, nothing changes if nothing changes. Our country will not change unless we change what's in it. Ladies, we ask your forgiveness. Please forgive our immaturity, our outbursts of tacky compliments. Forgive our browser history. Forgive our hormones taking control of us. Forgive us for thinking an open shirt is the ultimate weapon of appeal. Forgive us for opening our beers like primates. Forgive for taking a no as a yes. For insisting on playing a guitar that doesn't exist. And please forgive us for never washing our hands. Schneider, the beer with the exact maturity for the man who's in the process. Car's all yours. Thanks. Cars.com's expert reviews made it easy, but... Shouldn't there be more back and forth? You missed the drama, right? Yeah. Maybe this will do the trick. Oh, it's a puppy. Not a puppy, a wolf. What now? He's a wolf, and that is its incredibly protective mother. What do you want to da da da? I don't know. What do y'all think we should da da da? Well, what did we da yesterday? Hmm, yesterday. All the dolls feel like the same doll these days. I know. Like, is today Monday or Tuesday? Today is Thursday. <gasps> oh no, I forgot to call my mom on her birthday. Oh no! No! These days, nothing is normal and everything is weird. But you could still save big when you switch to Progressive. That won't change. Not to da or any da. Quote to da at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. In a world where truth is in short supply, you have an abundance of it right here. TNN, the Truth News Network. Well, well, well. Well, well, well. What's going on with Twitter? The Twitter world. You know, that particular website, social um, media outlet, I've, I've got a Twitter and uh, had, a, had an account. I'm not active using it. I tried it really diligently for a long time. I felt like I needed to for Truth News Network. But you know what I found out? Limiting you to the words that you're limited to, it just became a place for people just to shout at each other real quickly, throw little bombs in there, and denigrate each other. It's hard to discuss policies, real things that matter, in such a short time. And I'm just giving you my personal opinion of Twitter. 
But as it grew, it became more and more important in our world. You know that. Elon Musk has 81 Twitter followers. He has 35 million on Facebook. Lots of people have lots of followers in these social media platforms. And don't think that what's been happening with these social giants regarding crushing, pressuring, tightening down their control over the content and the people that make the content there, they've turned it into politicization. It's it's eerily just the same as we see happening in Russia and China and other communist and other totalitarian nations. I'll give you an example. Do you know that in Russia, I'll even back up further. You remember me talking on the air here about a year and a half, maybe two years ago, I started getting subscriptions to Truth News Network and we don't sell anything here. We don't even do uh, any kind of thing where you get a, a random text or email all the time. We just don't do that. We don't sell anything, so we just want you to be involved in what we're doing and the stories that we publish here, and we want to hear your voice, your comments. That's what we're all about. But every subscription that comes in, I have to approve it, or someone here has to approve it before our company that manages the website in Atlanta, they're the ones that enter the things formally so that every day when a new story goes live, you'll get an email. And instead of it just saying, hey, check this story out, it includes a link. And if you click on the link, it takes you through our website right to that story. That's the only thing that subscription to Truth News Network does. And it's all free. So I'm the one that has to see them all. They started coming through here. And many of the email addresses ended in .yandex, Y-A-N-D-E-X, or the other one was, I can't even remember now what it was, dot R-U, dot R-U. So I thought that was strange. I went to my company, now president, chairman of the board, my son-in-law, and he's an IT guy. And I said, look, this I've, I've got, we were getting 10, 15 subscriptions every week, but all of a sudden we started getting 75, 100, 150, and most of them end in either .ru or .yandex. What's this all about? And he said, oh my gosh, he said, those are from Russia. And I thought, oh my gosh, what's happening here? About two days later, I got an email from somebody from with one of those email addresses that ended, hers ended, it was a female, ended in dot RU. Ask a question about a story content. I replied to her, answered her question, and then at the bottom I, I told her, I said, hey, can you make some sense of this for me? And I told her about the subscriptions that we're getting. I said, do you have any idea what that's all about? And she replied and said, yes, sir, I'm a sophomore at the University of Moscow. And the director of International political science has told all of the classes in that section, in other words, all the people in Moscow that are taking that particular course, one American liberal progressive uh, website, uh, editorial-type website, 
is going to be required reading, as well as one conservative, and yours was chosen, Truth News Network was chosen to be the conservative site for us to analyze. So I thought that was really cool. I was honored that they would do that. And every once in a while, they, you know, there, it turned out there were about between six and 700 of those that subscribed. I never got any kind of contact out of that director of that uh, section in Moscow University. I kept waiting to get something, but I didn't. And every once in a while on the show, because she commented and said, we listen to the show. Some, sometimes, some weeks, our professor will record one of the shows and we'll go over it in class. So we hear you. We hear what you're saying and what you're talking about. And so every once in a while, I'll click over on our email subscriber list and just look at the names and look at the numbers and the locations. And about two months ago, all of a sudden, every one of those emails dropped off of our subscription list between six and 700 in one day. And it really, it, it, it upset me. You know, I mean, you think about it, what you're doing, what we're doing here is trying to reach more people with the truth, as many as we possibly can. And we have a significant audience in the United States and around the world. We're giving this message out. We feel it is our responsibility to share all of these facts and truthful things that we get and to undo some of the other stuff that people think are facts that they're hearing from other places. So then I began to think about it. What happened 60 days ago? Russia invaded Ukraine. What did we hear that was happening in Russia about media? Vladimir Putin shut down outside Russia media under social network categories. They blocked it. So all of a sudden, I know for a fact between six and 700 Russians aren't getting our stories, aren't hearing our podcast, our shows, because of an authoritarian government. How close do you think the United States is to having that happen? It's already happening to us, folks. Facebook is doing it. Twitter's doing it. Google's doing it with YouTube. WhatsApp, that is part of Facebook, they're doing it as well. We are being editorialized. Every tweet, every Facebook post, every text, think about that. It's all being watched by the powers to be. And we've seen what they do, the so-called fact checkers or censors, at YouTube, at Twitter, at Facebook. And I gave you that story about the Russian stuff to circle back to this. This thing that Elon Musk is trying to do regarding Twitter, it may be one of, if not the most important thing to happen at that level with that kind of coverage and involvement by the massive number of Americans, not even mentioning the millions overseas. Twitter's audience is way bigger overseas than it is here in the United States. And what is Elon Musk planning to do? He's already said it. He's buying Twitter, is what his intentions are, to make it a beacon for free speech. Anybody, doesn't matter what your opinion is, there'll be some guidelines. 
but you're not going to be censored. You're going to be able to speak the truth. You're going to be able to exercise your First Amendment rights. So Peter Lloyd, you may have heard, he was on our show yesterday and I believe the day before. And I just checked a minute ago during the break. He's listening now. At least somebody in his house is listening. We we get a track of IP addresses and it has, you know, the IP numbers, uh, it, it, the 6789 numbers, but it also gives the location of that particular IP address of computer that's listening to the show. And uh, he has his popped up. So I know Peter's listening. We had several conversations about this. He came up with an idea, and we began to expand on it. The idea is Elon Musk, the board of directors of Twitter, they don't want him to buy the company. He already owns a big chunk of it, over 12.5% of it. But unless he has control in the ownership area, he's not going to be able to dictate anything about what Twitter does and what they don't do. He wants to buy the whole company, control of the whole company, and he set out to do it. It was announced yesterday he had amassed the money, $46 billion, to be able to write a check to Twitter and take it over. The Twitter Board of Directors. Board of Directors of Twitters are a bunch of leftist sycophants, and they're making million-dollar annual salaries just for being on the board of Twitter. He wants to get rid of every one of them. Well, they don't want to go. I mean, it's a honeypot for them. And so they got together, and they've done some things as the board of, a, of, of uh, the, the board of this company of Twitter they have authority to do things regarding its management. They have uh, a duty to protect all the shareholders. And so they've taken some actions to block him from doing that. What I'm about to tell you, Peter and I talked about yesterday a couple of times. And I ran it up the hill. One of the reasons I had a conversation with Congressman Mike Jess- Johnson yesterday was about this. First thing he said when I rolled it out, he said, The best thing that could happen was if you did this, if you guys did this. So we don't have all the stuff put together, but it's not going to take a long time when we put the few things together to kick this thing off and make it work. Here's what this thing is. We want everybody, everybody, everybody out there that believes Twitter needs to become a First Amendment protected social media website to buy one share of stock of Twitter. One. Just one. What's that going to do, Dan? Well, we don't want it to be an investment, you know, like a dollar, where you buy a piece of stock and you hope it goes up in value. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a cause here. What's the cause? If we get everybody, and it won't be everybody, but we get several million people to do it, And then we have attorneys that will interface with everybody that wants to be a part of this. There will be a proxy that will be emailed to you in which you don't do anything with your share of stock. You give Elon Musk your vote. 
It's called the proxy, and it would be a proxy document. You would assign your proxy to vote on everything in Twitter as a stockholder. You give Elon Musk your proxy and authority to vote your share of stock along with everybody else's. If we get enough of that, we may not be able to buy or take over the entire company, but we will, together as a unit, through Elon Musk, we can push Twitter to be a First Amendment haven. Do you think that'll go anywhere, Dan? I really think it will. I'll tell you this, Mike Johnson is going to be on Tucker Carlson tonight on Fox. And he told me, he brought it up when we were having this conversation. He said, hey, I will get this to Tucker. He said, I'm going to go early. If I get a chance to get together with him before, I'm going to tell him about this. If I can't get him, I'm going to, I'll be spending a lot of time with this producer who I know well. I'm going to run it up the, the flag pole there with them. And this is the kind of thing that Tucker Carlson, as you know, would go nuts with. So, are we going to do it? I would say at this, this, this point, not are we going to do it, is will we be able to, because if we're able to, we're going to do it. Um, I would say we're probably at 70-30 that it will happen. And it will involve Truth News Network. There'll be, there'll, this will be a clearing point for a whole lot of this. So just stay tuned. I just wanted to let you know. Um, and regarding Twitter's reaction to Elon Musk, Twitter bans hate speech, they say. <laughs> hate speech. Any, anything that, that you say that they don't agree with, they tag it as hate speech. If Elon is successful in buying Twitter outright, he's going to pull back the curtain. The Wizard of Oz is going to be exposed. We'll finally be able to see the process that the company uses to pick and choose which things can be published and which ones can't. His takeover bid is a, it really, it's just a classic example of how the free market works. He's exercising what amounts to a personal antitrust reaction, taking it in the name of free speech. The reaction from Twitter proves that he is on the right path. (laughs) They're shaken to the core at the idea of having to be more transparent about how they conduct their business at what has become the world's virtual public town hall or town square. Even if we don't do the plan that I just shared with you, his takeover is doable. Twitter, in spite of its huge societal impact, is a relatively small company compared to other tech firms. As an example, did you know that Apple is worth $2.7 trillion? The parent of Google, YouTube, is Alphabet, and it's a $1.7 trillion company. Musk is the richest man in the world. He has a personal net worth several times greater than the $50 billion or so that he's probably going to have to pay to get outright ownership of Twitter to be able to take it private like he wants. However, that's not the same thing as cash, $50 billion. Nonetheless, he'll find a way, I promise, he'll find a way to put a takeover syndicate ideal together. He's clear about why he wants the company. In a recent TED forum, after the announcement of his takeover plan, 
He said this, my strong intuitive sense is that having a public platform that is maximally trusted and broadly inclusive is extremely important to the future, not of the United States, but of civilization. And I think he's right. And he's laid out some of his plans to change the way Twitter operates. He's made clear he would be reluctant to delete things, more open to timeouts than permanent bans. He agrees there are limitations to free speech and Twitter must obey the law. But if a tweet's in a gray area, he says he's going to let it fly, let it go. He would also insist that the algorithm that Twitter uses to rank content, that that algorithm be made public and open to user audits. Even some Twitter executives themselves have supported greater transparency on their platform. Users deserve the right to know what the standards are. You know, you you really don't know. They can just do what they want to. They can give you this bogus excuse if you ask, but they're still going to do it. Who is up? Who is down? Why? As it stands now, all that is unclear. When a former president of the United States has been handed a lifetime ban, at the same time, Iran's supreme leader, Ali Khamenei, continues to be able to freely spew violent venom on the platform, which he does, debt to America, all the time. So what are the rules at Twitter? (laughs) There is no question about Elon Musk's ability to understand the technology behind Twitter and their policies. Anybody who can put rockets into space is not going to be afraid of an algorithm. Twitter and the people They're really upset over the end of democracy. If Musk were to control the company, they would have to get used to the idea of accountability. (laughs) That's a foreign word in social media and politics, accountability. Twitter wouldn't be any longer able to enforce rigidity in the name of diversity. Twitter users would be allowed to decide and think for themselves the definition of free speech Think for yourself. Say what you think. That's the definition of free speech and democracy, by the way. And of course, the empire is striking back as they always do, with Twitter adopting a poison pill anti-takeover strategy that would dilute the value of their stock if Musk acquires more than 15% of the company. This is, this is wild and crazy. It's a hoot given the Twitter board's embarrassingly microscopic ownership of shares. Musk says he's already come up with a plan B to circumvent that. If they do it, if necessary, he'll go to plan Z to achieve his goal. We want our plan to be plan Z if it has to go that far. Now, here's something nobody's talking about. He may not be the only contender. Twitter is looking for a corporate white knight to save them from Elon Musk, but that's not likely. The current crop of these big tech giants, they're all going to run into antitrust obstacles. Haven't progressives been calling for a breakup of the allegedly evil giants? Moreover, any other would-be acquirers would have to realize that without Elon Musk, Twitter would have no real value. After all, Twitter's stock has been a dud since it went public years ago. Will Elon Musk be able to pull it off? 
Everybody in free speech and open discussion should hope so. He's got the expertise, he's got the understanding, and he's got the money. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I pray that this thing will work. I pray it will work. Here's some other thoughts about Elon Musk and his money and Twitter. Elon Musk moving closer to a Twitter takeover. Kelly O'Grady has all the latest details. Good morning, Kelly. Good morning, Dagan. Yes, Elon Musk now officially has the money to buy Twitter. In a new SEC filing, the billionaire revealed he secured a total of $46.5 billion to fund his takeover offer and that he's indeed considering a hostile tender. Now, Musk is putting up $21 billion himself. That's higher than the $10 to $15 billion he was reported to be willing to pour into the offer. The remaining $25.5 billion would be loaned by a group of banks led by Morgan Stanley that includes a $12.5 billion loan pegged to the value of his Tesla shares. Reports are surfacing He's now in talks with private equity firm Toma Bravo to finance some of that, but no agreement yet. Twitter confirmed to Fox Business that it's committed to conducting a, quote, careful, comprehensive and deliberate review. It gave no indication, though, as to when they'll respond. Now, while Musk is prepared to spend billions to protect online free speech, he's fighting strong opposition. Former President Barack Obama doesn't think Silicon Valley is going far enough. In a keynote address to Stanford University yesterday, he implored big tech to ramp up their content moderation. The First Amendment is a check on the power of the state. It doesn't apply to private companies like Facebook or Twitter. With that power comes accountability. And in democracies like ours, at least, the need for some democratic oversight. For years, social media companies have resisted that kind of accountability. Now, Dagan, that begs the question how Elon will even enact change when facing these ideological challenges around moderation. It's no secret the attempt to regulate big tech on everything from Section 230 to data privacy is a bipartisan effort. But first, his bid will need to be accepted, and the ball is now in Twitter's court. Just so you know, we're all over this Twitter thing and what could possibly happen. We would love, it doesn't just have to be Twitter. We would love for every social media platform to be a free speech platform, even when you don't disagree with my conservative ideals. Espouse yours. I'll espouse mine. Let other people hear and read what you think and what I think about every issue, every single one of them. Let them disagree or agree with us. That doesn't seem to be so difficult, but when you're trying to amass power and control over other people, it is a big deal. You try to take your opponent out. And that's exactly what's going on right now. You just heard a little bit from former President Barack Obama on the other side of this break. We've got some more with him. We also have blockbuster news on Hunter Biden and his laptop. A letter has been taken from the laptop, and it was a letter written by Hunter to his father. It's explosive. I couldn't take my eyes off of it when I saw it and read it. That's up. Also, some big news about our southern border. We just can't get through and finished with all that stuff. It's real simple, folks. If you'll do what the law says to do, we won't have this problem down there. And we would be able to save hundreds of billions of dollars, probably a trillion unnecessary dollars spent 
on everything to do with the southern border. And Democrats, they not only want it to continue, they want it to get bigger. Des Moines HelpWanted.com salutes the employee of the month. The one employee you can't live without. The others, let's just call them Dave. Dave, we need to talk about your sick days. What seems to be the problem, Mr. Employee of the Month? Last week you were out all five days. I was sick. Thanks for checking in. You posted on social media that you were at a comedy club on Monday. Laughter is the best medicine. An outdoor barbecue on Tuesday. Feed a cold, starve a fever, or whichever one needs to be fed. That's the one I had. Okay, Wednesday you took a selfie, hashtag faking sick. That was supposed to say freaking sick. Thursday you were at an amusement Park. Somebody stole my phone. They stole your phone and uploaded photos of you at an amusement park. Yes, fake news. Friday, you tailgated in the employee parking lot. Friday's basically the weekend. Everyone knows that. If you don't mind hiring Dave's, go to the huge national job boards. That's probably what you'll get. But if you want more employees of the month, go where local job seekers find good local jobs. We don't discriminate against people named Dave. Dave is a common name, fun to say, and so we're using it as a catch-all for lackluster employees everywhere. Please don't write us to tell us you were insulted by this ad. That would be a real Dave move, Dave. Holidays abroad. Can we? Can't we? But then we thought, should we? Staycation! We could share a yurt. Please, no. Luckily, we've picked British Airways holidays. Small deposit and can change if we need to. Decision made. Moonlight skinny dipping. (laughs) We've booked St. Lucia. Two weeks. Did you? Why didn't we? Ah, clever you. British Airways holidays. At all protected. Those in the know like to stay in the realm of innovation. Join them. It's easy to keep up with the latest trends and own the latest tech with BMW Select as it offers you the option to drive a brand new BMW every three years. You also get to tailor your deal to suit your pocket and your lifestyle. Visit select.bmw.co.za for more. BMW Select. Dynamic finance for ultimate control. BMW Financial Services is an authorized FSP and registered credit provider. T's and C's apply. As much a part of your day as pants. Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. I don't know about you, but I got my pants on. (laughs) I guess uh, since I'm in a studio and nobody's going to be walking around or coming in, I I could do it in my underwear if I wanted to, but I don't do that. I wouldn't dare do that. I would feel naked and not naked. That's the correct pronunciation, but when you live down south, it's being naked. <laughs> oh my gosh. Aren't you glad the weekend is is coming up? Do you have big plans this weekend? I'm looking really forward to Sunday afternoon. I'm going to a crawfish boil. Oh my gosh, do you love crawfish? I love crawfish, and I can eat a bunch of crawfish, and I'm a crawfish peeler extraordinaire. I can peel them quick and eat them quick. And for those of you listening in that you're in other places, even around the world, you're listening in, you don't know what I'm talking about. Crawfish, crayfish, whatever you want to call them. When they're cooked properly, boil crawfish and you peel the tails and you suck the juice out of the heads when you break it off to get all that seasoning. It's, it's a very seasonal thing. It's in the spring. We're right in the middle of it now. This is really the best time. They're at about the right size. They'll get bigger as the season goes on in in early June. Between now and early June are their best times. Why? Because the shells get harder. When they get darker in color, that means they get older, the shells get thicker, and it's hard hard to, um, to peel them, harder to peel them. But anyway, 
I'm looking at I'll probably do about 10 pounds of crawfish. Now I won't eat 10 pounds. That, that includes with the heads and everything on there. You just eat the tail, what's in the tail. So I'm going to do that. You got something big planned? My son is coming in and his wife from Fort Worth. And of course, our other kids are here already. So we're going we're gonna to have a good weekend with everybody together. I'm looking forward to it. Of course, church Sunday morning. I don't miss church. I love church. I love going where I can be with good people that think a lot. I go there to worship. Uh, I go there to get a, a download, a spiritual download. And the fellowship that I go to, I get it every time I go. I just love it. So I'm looking forward to that. So back to former President Barack Obama. He made that speech you just heard a, a snippet from. Um, he said some things in that that I thought were salient, and I pulled them out. He said uh, the First Amendment is a check on the power of the state. It doesn't apply to private companies like Facebook and Twitter, he said, but he's calling for more value judgments on content moderation and censorship on social media. While content moderation, he said, can limit the distribution of clearly dangerous content, he said it doesn't go far enough. He complained that Current content models for social media platforms allowed all content to flow equally. You and I both know that's a lie. It doesn't happen. If it did happen, we'd have a lot more truth out there than the stifled truth by all the fact checkers. Over time, we lose our capacity to distinguish between fact opinion and wholesale fiction. Or maybe we just stop caring. He complained that an overwhelming flood of information made it difficult to discern the truth. Our brains aren't accustomed to taking in this much information this fast, and a lot of us are experiencing overload. He warned that dangerous people are using social media to distract the public. So listen to who he said. This is a quote. I love this. He said, people like Putin and Steve Bannon, for that matter, Understand it's not necessary for people to believe disinformation in order to weaken democratic institutions. You just have to flood the public square with enough raw sewage. What do we call that? We call that the Democrat National Committee platform, raw sewage. He argued for a series of social media reforms and regulation, warning the nature of democracy itself is at stake. He complained there was no way to distinguish online between a peer-reviewed article by Dr. Anthony Fauci and a miracle cure pitched by a huckster. That's not true. It was easy when the American people were given the facts, all the facts, all the information. Guess what the American people did and guess what the American people do? We ferret out the truth, and we believe that. The wide variety of content on COVID and the vaccines, he said, was concerning as some people chose not to get vaccinated. People are dying because of misinformation, he said. Yeah, people are dying. People are dying. People are getting bad information from the so-called experts, and people are dying from that bad information that they get 
and they believe and they act on, like you just said, Dr. Anthony Fauci. In fact, 27,000 Americans have died from vaccine adverse events. That's effective April the 8th, the latest VAERS COVID vaccine adverse event reports. Nobody's talking about that. Basically, what the former president is saying If we give it to you, if Fauci gives it to you, if the National Institutes of Health give it to you, if the CDC gives it to you, you you don't have room for opinion in that. Just do it. And social media, a lot of places in social media, they're letting this junk get published. That's exactly what he was referencing. So the former president said this. He laid out a set of principles of how content should be, his term, moderated, which is the same thing as censored in his world, either by tech companies themselves or by some government entity. Here's what he said. Whether it strengthens or weakens the prospects for a healthy, inclusive democracy, whether it encourages robust debate and respect for our differences, whether it reinforces rule of law and self-governance, whether it helps us make collective decisions based on the best available information, whether it recognizes the rights and freedoms and dignity of all our citizens. Regulation has to be part of the answer. What you're hearing, folks, is an anti-constitutional, loud, noisy speech from a hardcore leftist that thinks interwoven in all the things that he said in his speech is this. Government has got to be in charge. Government has got to regulate. Government has got to be able to determine unilaterally which of these things are acceptable and which are not. And government if they're in charge, they have to be the ultimate authority to determine all of these things. All right, enough of that. One little shot against Barack and his wife, Michelle. Spotify cut them loose. Spotify said they're not going to renew the contract with Barack and Michelle Obama. And the reason for it's simple. The former first couple... They don't put in enough personal appearance on the streaming service to justify the paltry $25 million Spotify reportedly paid to sign them back in 2019. For the $25 million big bucks, the Obamas will each only commit to appearing in a limited-run eight-episode program that they wish to release at the same time on several platforms, which is a deal-breaker for Spotify. Exclusivity is really valuable in this case. The Obama's production company, Higher Ground, is now in talks with Amazon.com's Audible and iHeartMedia and hopes to select a new home for the couple in the next few weeks. Any new Obama deal will be worth tens of millions of dollars, making it among the most lucrative in the podcasting business. Spotify did debut some exclusive Obama content as the Michelle Obama podcast and Barack Obama's Renegades Born in the USA program, which was co-hosted by Bruce Springsteen. 
But the honeymoon ended pretty quickly. Spotify wanted more on-air time from both of them, which the couple preferred to stay in the shadows and lift young new voices. While their efforts at Spotify may have produced a few compelling shows, Vanity Fair's Joe Pompeo states the buzz around these efforts has paled in comparison to the couple's best-selling memoirs or even the award-winning features they produced for a separate content deal they have with Netflix. You got to wonder, though, how sustainable this Netflix venture will be given recent revelations from the service that it lost a whopping 200,000 subscribers in the first quarter of this year, prompting a more than 20% drop in its share price in after-hours trading. It's the first such loss for Netflix in more than a decade. Now, wait a minute. I thought Barack and Michelle being there, it was going to cause Netflix to just go crazy. It would be number one in everything to do with entertainment. As Elon Musk pointed out on Twitter, the services, he's talking about Netflix, their woke messaging is enough to drive folks to find something else to do while they chill. The woke mind virus is making Netflix unwatchable. For another user, it's not just Netflix that is to blame. Movies in general, video games, TV, all infested with current year trend woke garbage for fear offending a green-haired freak next to the ban button. News of the Obamas leaving Spotify, it was, it was expected, perfectly understandable to many people on Twitter who view the duo as among the wokest of the woke. Are some companies realizing that go woke, go broke <laughs> might have indeed some truth in it? Another call the announcement, best news today. One more said, are they afraid they may do to Spotify what they've done to Netflix? Maybe so. Netflix is down for the count. Sometimes Twitter's tweets can be really funny. Sometimes not having the same characters and words (laughs) to spew your venom. You have to edit them. Sometimes they sound a whole lot better. You know, kind of cliche. People will, in some cases, they'll repeat them. Oh, my gosh. Hunter, Hunter, Hunter. The laptop, it's a real. The contents on it are real. It's out there. There are, I think, four copies of it. Sean Hannity has one of them. That's the only thing he's admitted. He said he will not read or examine any of the the content expressly for one purpose. So if there's any litigation that happens, and there probably will be, he will not be in the line of fire. So back to this latest thing from the laptop. On the laptop, there's a draft letter that Hunter wrote to his father And then Vice President Biden accepted the Presidential Medal of Freedom in a speech delivered January 12th, 2017. It was right before he was inaugurated. Hunter's letter is about 750 words. It's an emotional, incoherent rant in which Hunter appears to express his resentment 
over his dad's allegedly not paying certain family members their due tribute during his acceptance speech. It begins, the letter does, with Hunter describing a weird, bizarre family structure in which everybody's beholden to Big Joe. Yet his father has paid them back by allowing them to be publicly and privately humiliated again and again. Here's what Hunter said. And please understand, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to you verbatim, but some of it is pretty incoherent and hard to follow. Let's get started. Here's what he said. Dad, you have to listen then you can do whatever you want. I'll make it the last time, and you can ignore it, or I hope at least acknowledge that the three people on earth who have lived their lives in service to you, who love you more than the next 30 combined, have suddenly all concluded for their own reasons that you have finally crossed the line, that we won't be publicly and privately humiliated, while those that publicly and privately humiliate us held to the world as the loves of your life. The first barely coherent paragraph. That's what you just heard. Based on the wording, it's suspected that Hunter's referring to his stepmother, Jill Biden, because he notes how the person who publicly and privately humiliates them is considered the love of his father's life. He continues... And what he did was contrast the way his father expresses love with the way his beloved aunt and uncle do. Hunter said, love is an action, dad, not an emotion. Think how your brother and sister express their love for you. They do anything you tell them to do. And they have their whole lives. You act as if I have no right to tell you about what you did or didn't have or haven't done with your siblings. Well, that's just absurd, he said. The next part gets a little incoherent again, but it sounds like he's complaining about his father only thanking Jill for saving the family. He specifically writes about he and his own brother, Bo. Bo is the brother who died of cancer in 2015, both of whom were sons of Biden's first wife, Neelia Hunter Biden, not Jill's, had relied on his uncle, his aunt, and his mom-mom. Mom-mom is what he called Joe's mother. It's his grandmother. Uncle Jimmy is my best friend, Hunter said, and Aunt Val is my mother. And if you make me ever feel like saying that is somehow a betrayal, then know this every time over the last 30 years you say she saved our lives. With Aunt Val standing right next and never mentioning her, I feel like grabbing the mic and saying she may have saved his life, but Bo and I were pretty happy with Mom, Mom, and Aunt Val. It's believed the she highlighted is Jill. And indeed, then he was vice president. He would only thank Jill, not his brother, not his sister, not his grandmother, in his acceptance speech by saying those exact words. She saved our lives. Look at this. This is Joe. This is a bit from his speech. Quote, but you know, I get a lot of credit I don't deserve to state the obvious and because I've always had somebody to lean on. From back that time in 1972 when the accident happened, I leaned on, and I mean this in literal sense, Chris knows this, Dodd knows this, and Mel knows this, and Ted knows this. I leaned on my sons, Bo and Hunter, And I continue to lean on Hunter, who continues to, in a bizarre kind of way, raise me. I mean, I've learned. 
You observed early on that when either of my boys would walk in the room, they'd wake up, walk up and say, Dad, what can I get you? Dad, what do you need? And then Jill came along and she saved our lives. She, no man deserves one great love, let alone two. And, but everybody knows here, I am Jill's husband. Remember that speech when he said that? Everybody knows that I love her more than she loves me, with good reason. And she gave me the most precious gift, the love of my life, the life of my life, my daughter, Ashley. Note that the accident Joe referred to in his speech was the tragic death of his first wife and daughter, Naomi, in a car wreck. The letter, it goes on with Hunter talking more about family members, besides Jill. He doesn't mention her. Helping him and Bo overcome losing their mom, though it begins to grow quite incoherent. It's believed he specifically is talking about how his aunt wasn't mentioned in his father's acceptance piece. Losing mommy was more like expect it might be to might it might be to be born without legs. You know something really, really important isn't there, but you don't quite know why it feels so incredibly absent when you can't remember it ever being there. And then you learn to walk and get bionic legs and a set of wings. Mom, mom, it's a grandmother, and Aunt Val saved my life, Dad. They saved Bo's life, Dad. You saved our lives. I understand the lie serves your purpose, Dad, but to make two boys who had the three greatest mothers God could conceive, taken from them, that they have to buy into it or they would be betraying you is pretty awful because that's not the choice we would ever even let sit in our minds for one moment. That's an act of love, Dad. And the greatest act of love is that your sister never once, even in the slightest way, would allow us to believe that it must be, it must be torture to be written out of the greatest love story ever told. The last paragraph repeats the same pattern, except this time Hunter zeroes in on his uncle. Do you, do you know who has done more for me, been more loyal, and is actual embodiment of your line? If you have to ask, it's too late. Uncle Jimmy is the only person I've ever known by a factor of 10 that has never asked first. I have seen him take punch after punch in the face from every drowning family member he has saved. And when the crowd of gawkers gather around and say, wow, that was so brave, so selfless, he without exception says, what do you mean? That was my brother who, not me. Well, where did you get the broken nose and black eye? And the whole family says, well, you know, Jim, he's reckless. He's a hothead. He leaps before he looks. He's a lovable tornado. How do you let that stand, he writes. Because it, if there is one hero in this story that deserves the Medal of Honor for throwing himself on the grenade, it's my uncle. And it's like Groundhog Day. No matter how hard he tries to rewrite the story each time he puts himself back together again, It's the same ending. There's a grenade in the living room on Christmas Eve. The whole family gathers around, postures and pontificates, or hides under the couch, or pushes someone in front of them, and there's Uncle Jim, missing both legs in a wheelchair, with one eye. And maybe not until I've seen him do it a hundred times before does he say, Come on, guys, at least help me out of my chair, and this time please don't make me drive myself to the hospital. Get me a cab and I'll pay you back. So, Dad, 
on arguably the most rewarding day in your career, you fail to even say, and I won't publicly thank the heart and soul of this family. The letter concludes as incoherently as it began. And if you go back, if you got a lot of time and you don't, <laughs> you want to get into the speech thing, you can go back and listen to the speech. Joe didn't say anything about those people. And obviously, Hunter's pretty upset about that. Sounds to me like Hunter is a family guy. That's interesting. Everything we've seen and heard about, watched him, doesn't show he's really um, a family guy. Who's your favorite member in the U.S. House of Representatives? Who do you like the most? It's easy for me. Mike Johnson, he's a friend, got a personal relationship. Steve Scalise, I know he's been on this show before. He's the minority whip in the U.S. House of Representatives. But I really like Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan, he is the most matter-of-fact, in-your-face, always has evidence to back up anything he says, and he is very vocal. He's got something to say about a fellow member of the House, and it's pretty nasty. <laughs> Jim Jordan's up next. Talk to Dan. Call 1-866-37-TRUTH. TNN Live. The Truth News Network. You love chocolate. Mmm, chocolate. You love M&M's. Oh, yes. But your tastes have grown up, and you're just not wild about super sweet milk chocolate, so you've been avoiding M&M's. Yeah. Well, fear no more. Huh? M&M's dark chocolate to the rescue. My heroes. M&M's dark chocolate candies. Available wherever fine candies are sold. Nervous? Oh, Blaze. Brings back so many good memories. Remember our road trip in 97? Our first real heart-to-heart. I've never seen any of your movies! Not even the ones we're in together! Hey, do you remember when that stalker kidnapped us? Yes! Blaze was there. Blaze. Do you have barbecue? Or a cheddar jalapeno? Oh, remember when we stumbled into that turf war? Remember when you bought your first house? Those were good times. They were golden. You ready? Seth, do you? I do. And Janet, do you? That's a yes. Yeah! I love this lady! <laughs> You may have a problem um, picking who you like the best of the U.S. House of Representatives, but it's easy for me to pick the one I like the least and dislike the most. For me, it would be a member of the House of Representatives from California, and it's a, it's a close tie. Nancy Pelosi is there. She is the Speaker of the House, probably the second or third most powerful person in our government. I dislike her. 
I don't know her and I don't know, or I, I don't know personally the person I'm going to tell you is the one I dislike the most. But either way, they are hardcore leftists, Nancy and this guy, and they espouse everything you can imagine far left. And they espouse the fact that the United States government is little more in their minds than a piggy bank. And in either case, they really don't effectively represent the districts that elected them and sent them to Washington, D.C. Adam Schiff is the guy. Jim Jordan basically takes him apart in what you're about to hear, and he never even mentions Adam Schiff's name. Uh, Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I thank the gentleman for yielding. Americans want safer streets, affordable gas, and freedom. Instead, Democrats give us record crime levels, record inflation, and another bill attacking President Trump. Sponsored by the guy who spent years misleading the Congress and, more importantly, the country on Trump-Russia investigation, on Mueller investigation, on impeachments. Remember when the sponsor of the bill said that his office didn't meet with the whistleblower? Found out that wasn't true. Remember when the sponsor of the bill told us that we would hear from the whistleblower during impeachment? We'd actually have real process instead of having hearings and depositions in the basement, in the bunker of the Capitol. Remember when the sponsor told us this? There was more than circumstantial evidence that President Trump colluded with Russia. That turned out to be false. Bob Mueller said it was false. Everyone knew it was false. In fact, it was such baloney, even the Washington Post, even the Washington Post has had to retract and change things from stories because they said, oh, yeah, yeah, there was a lot of false information in that dossier that they used to go spy on President Trump's campaign. And I think this is important to understand. Sponsor this legislation wasn't just any member of Congress, Mr. Speaker. He wasn't just any chairman of a committee in Congress. He was the chairman of the Intelligence Committee, the committee that gets additional information from anyone else in the country making those claims that were not accurate. So maybe instead of having another bill that attacks President Trump because Democrats are afraid he's going to run and he's going to win in 2024. So they want to do everything they can to attack him. Maybe instead of another bill attacking President Trump, we should actually focus on things that the American people care about. You know, you can attack President Trump all you want. I know one thing. A year ago, the border was secure. Sure was. A year ago, cities were safe. Safer than they are today. A year ago, we didn't have a 31-year high inflation. We actually had wages going up, real wages. A year ago, a year ago, we didn't have a Department of Justice, Department of Justice attacking moms and dads, putting a label, a designation, a threat tag on parents who simply go to school board meetings and speak out against a racist hate America curriculum. No, we didn't have that a year ago. But you guys can keep attacking the president all you want not addressing the issues that the American people care about. We're going to speak about the issues they care about. We're going to try to do everything we can to slow down your crazy agenda that is driving up the price of everything. We're going to speak out against and do everything we can to make sure the Department of Justice quits attacking parents. God bless the whistleblower who came forward and gave us the information. 
sent from the counterterrorism division of the FBI. We could be dealing with that issue today. We could be holding the Attorney General accountable, the Justice Department accountable for what they're doing. No, no, no. We're going to attack President Trump again. Democrats, that's the only thing they can do because they can't talk about anything else. I hope we defeat this bill. I hope you f- defeat the bill. <laughs> uh, regarding Adam Schiff, you got to understand, there are people that serve us in every capacity. There are people that really are dishonest. They can justify pretty much anything that they want to do, regardless of the impact of their actions on others. They can say anything they want to say, regardless of the impact on others that they say it to. And regarding being truthful, which sadly in many cases, Congressman Adam Schiff is not, I think, and I've maintained this through the last few years on this show, he is a pathological liar. What is a pathological liar? That's somebody that basically has the propensity to not tell the truth in their DNA, or they have the ability to adopt it as being factual and literally believing that what they're saying is true, even when it may have no connection at all to the truth. In the bill that Congressman Jordan was referencing that's out there being considered, it takes a lot of things in the bill that are maintained as fact, that aren't factual, and Adam Schiff is the purveyor of those things in this bill. In fact, he he is the one that is responsible for that bill. Adam Schiff has been caught in so much, so many lies, criminal actions that he's never been prosecuted for. And even in this January 6th committee thing, he's on that committee and he actually took some things and turned them around and presented things to the committee that were ball-faced lies and he got caught in doing it. Did he apologize? No. Why? Because that's what he does. That's who he is. There are a lot of people just like that in Washington, D.C. Sad to say, our government is full of them. And so is the media. So is the media. The media are a little more than an extension, kind of like the, uh, what would they be? A liaison to Americans, and they're liaising what the quote-unquote news is that these people need to know, and they're just passing it along. They're supposed to be journalists. In journalism, you check out what you are presenting to people and calling as fact. You verify that it's factual before you give it to the public. Adam Schiff's not on that same page. Neither is Nicole Wallace. You know who she is? You see her all the time. She's on MSNBC. And she said this. This shocked me when I saw this. Yesterday, she equates dehumanizing tactics used by Republicans to Russian troops who rape children. Now, what's she talking about? She claims, Nicole Wallace claims, Republican members of Congress, such as Governors Ron DeSantis, Representative a Republican governor in Florida, and Glenn Youngkin, the newly elected Republican governor of Virginia, 
They believe, she says, Governors Ron DeSantis and Glenn Youngkin, and they do believe what she says, which is discussions on sex, on gender ideology, racial equity, don't belong in third grade classrooms or in math books. And she says that Republicans that think that are employing wartime dehumanizing tactics similar to those that have led some Russian troops to rape children. Now, i got to be honest with you. That's a far stretch. And I couldn't, I'm, I, I, I think I'm a pretty coherent guy. I could never come up and make a connection between that, but apparently she did. The bulwarks, Tim Miller joined Nicole Wallace on MSNBC's Deadline White House to talk about the evils of allowing parents a say in what their children are taught in school. There's one math book allowed left in Florida, Miller said. Dear Leader DeSantis has now determined there's only one appropriate math book for the whole state. If you're in Miami, you can't pick a different math book because they didn't like one line about something related to race or one word problem. There was one legislator in Miami who said we can't have a math word problem that said that Johnny has two dads. So think about it. If you're my kid and you're in that class and you now are being told that you can't even write as an example in the workbook, my two dads, because the legislature in Tallahassee says that you can't do it. That's very, very radical and unpopular. According to Miller, Democrats need to stop allowing Republicans to define the debate around protecting your kids from sexualization. So the Democrats need to take a lesson from the senator there and go on offense and focus on all these unpopular elements of what they're doing and not let Republicans define the debate around protecting your kids from sexualization. That's a popular sentence, Miller said. What they're doing is unpopular, and it's a fight that needs to be had. Wallace, she was in full agreement. Tim, she said, you and I even fall into a tradition, our profession of focusing on what works, and I think we recently had conversation about Mitch McConnell and why he does what he does, because it works, Wallace stated. It's a political reality. And I worry that in covering Glenn Youngkin and his politics of parental choice, all the focus is on how well it worked. And even in our conversations about DeSantis, it's about how well they're serving him. Wallace then took the argument one big step further. That's when she said GOP methods of fighting the current culture war in America to dehumanization campaigns that are akin to those used by Moscow's military. That's a big, big, far way to go. But I guess it doesn't matter who you are, you've got the right to an opinion. Everybody's got one. She said the truth is dehumanization is a tactic for politics. It's from war. Dehumanization, it's a tactic. Speaking of right now, the Russians get their soldiers to rape children by dehumanizing them. Dehumanization as a practice is a tactic of war. It's being deployed in our politics and people like you and sometimes lose the plot. So here comes Twitter. 
Twitter watching this, people on Twitter watching this back and forth between Miller and Nicole Wallace. Reactions? Uh, not very, very good. Not very good at all. I'm looking at some of them now. And uh, I got to be honest with you, they are ugly, ugly, ugly. I'm pulling up a, a string of it here. Let's see if I can get right to it and, and give you what some of the people said. Uh-huh. It's slow in loading. I wonder why. Maybe they don't want us to share it. <laughs> it's stop. It's not going to let me in at that link. Never mind. It was she got flooded with bad, bad tweets about the whole concept of what she said. In my opinion, anybody that wants to prevent parents from being the people, the authority figures in their kid's life that will talk to them about anything and everything to do with sexualization. And school teachers are supposed to be better suited to do that than parents? How do they come up with that concept? Well, I can tell you where many of them get it, from broken families, families that are fragmented, Many of these people didn't have parents, and some that even had parents never got information from their parents about sexualization or anything. And so everybody, as you grow up, is going to draw opinions and get ideas that you own about sexualization. So you're going to get them from somewhere. Wouldn't it be better for the parents? It is better for the parents. And for the militarization, the weaponization of this very fact, like these leftists are doing, trying to create a scenario where parents are literally trying to take over the education system. They're really not. What these parents want is for these politicians to get out of this thing and let the educators educate. But teach classroom Teach educational things like math, like science, like English, like language. All of those things that are important things that we're going to use when we get out in life. But these teachers don't know these kids. And even if they do know them, they have no right to get into these kids' heads with their thoughts regarding sexualization. I don't care what it is. I don't care if you're straight as a string. You have no right to get into those kind of discussions with my kid. You simply don't. And I don't care how you denigrate those, especially those in government like Ron DeSantis, whose number one thing is to protect the family. Protect the voters and protect the families in Florida. He swore an oath to do that. Overwhelmingly, Floridians support this law. Overwhelmingly. Why is that? Because it makes sense. It makes sense. I don't want someone that I don't even have an idea who they are, yet alone what they think about anything, to indoctrinate my kids on something personal about our family and this child of ours. 
It just doesn't work. And it needed to be confronted, and it has been. Thank you, Governor DeSantis. We've not talked about our southern border. He's even involved in the southern border thing. He put the word out very clearly. These illegals that come across, a lot of them want to go to Florida. He made it very clear to Washington, D.C. Don't send them here. We're going to send them back. We don't want illegals coming here that don't come into the United States the legal and right way. Well, the Republicans are really, really pushing back. And unfortunately for President Biden, so are a bunch of Democrats. 21 Republican-led states have already sued the Biden administration to stop the Title 42 public health order. They're now seeking a temporary restraining order to prevent any lifting the order ahead of the May 23rd rollback date. Three states, Arizona, my state, Louisiana, and Missouri, they're the three that initially sued the Biden administration earlier this month over the move to end Title 42, which was implemented by Trump in March of 2020 in response to the COVID pandemic and allows for the rapid expulsion of migrants at the border. That, if nothing happens, is scheduled to end May 23rd. So when these three states joined together to sue, right after that, more states joined the lawsuit, bringing the number to 21. Here's what it does. The suit challenges an imminent man-made self-inflicted calamity the abrupt elimination of the only safety valve preventing this administration's disastrous border policies from devolving into an unmitigated catastrophe. Once again, the Biden administration is thumbing its nose at the American people and the rule of law. That's from Arizona Attorney General Mark Bronovich in a statement to Fox News yesterday. It cannot be allowed to continue in this recklessness. So this public health order, Title 42, was implemented in March of 2020. Why? COVID-19 pandemic, and it's since been used to expel a majority of migrants at the border. Of the more than 221,000 that have encountered at the border in March alone, 50% were expelled under Title 42, so a little over 100,000. What about the other 100,000? The additional request by these states for a temporary restraining order is intended to stop any move by Biden to implement the revocation of Title 42 ahead of that May 23rd date and prove that it has been implementing Title 42. Due to limited space on expulsion flights, Border Patrol has already stopped using Title 42 to expel some migrants from the Northern Triangle countries of Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador. Border Patrol sources said that it is instead processing them via Title VIII and expedited removal. The sources say that the order is technically still in place for those migrants, but only as long as there is space on Title 42 expulsion flights. If those flights are full, migrants from these countries are put into expedited removal. That allows authorities to quickly remove a migrant without a hearing if they have recently entered the U.S. However, the sources said that if a migrant claims they have a fear of persecution, the removal order is changed to a notice to appear, meaning they're released into the U.S. with a future 
court date. They said that migrants are already spreading the word about what to say to get released into the U.S. The cartels are up to their eyeballs in this. They're making a billion dollars a week. That's what we are told they are making with their sex trafficking, human trafficking, and of course drug, principally fentanyl, tracking into the United States through these Central American and Mexican thugs that are coming up here. That's a pandemic, a pandemic of lunacy and idiocy. There's no way to explain it. And this bit of information just makes the story we just shared even more ridiculous. The Department of Homeland Security, they are extending the requirement for all non-citizens, those who are neither U.S. citizens or lawful permanent residents, all non-citizens arriving at legal points of entry, including ferry terminals, to show proof of full vaccination against COVID, according to a rule issued by the agency yesterday. Though travelers coming here through legal ports of entry will continue to be forced to show proof of vaccination, no such mandate applies to the record number of illegals the Biden administration is processing at the southern border. Now get this straight. You live in, uh, let's say, uh, Brazil. And you want to come to the United States. So when you get here, you got to prove you're vaccinated. And as of right now, it's still up in the air. It depends on where you land. You got to wear a mask. (laughs) You got to handle that yourself. Okay. Those people have to get tested. They have to go through a legal process to come here to the nation. But we have a couple of million illegals that have come through our southern border, many from all around the world, even China and North Korea. Those people are coming in, and there's no vaccination requirement. You don't have to show the government anything. Several million people have done just that, and the huge majority of those 2 million people that have come in that are probably in that category, the Biden administration has no idea where they are. They don't even know for sure if they are still in the United States. They could have left. Cracker Jack leadership. That's all I can say. Cracker Jack leadership. And in the middle of all this, that stay in Mexico thing, remain in Mexico policy that was put in there. What that was is they were scamming us at the southern border. You know the process. They come in and they say they're in uh, deep trouble for their lives back in their countries. When they do that, we don't send them back. Typically, we've been holding them. Well, what happened is Donald Trump got an idea. If they're legitimately seeking through a claim and documents. They want asylum here in the United States. If they're legitimate, they need to be heard. But the huge majority of those coming in claiming asylum is their reason. They're lying about it. So how do you discern which are truthful and which are not? You got to do an investigation. Here's what Trump said. Look, I'll call the president of Mexico and cut a deal. We'll ask him 
to temporarily take these people to keep them in some place right close to the border on the Mexican side until their asylum hearing comes up. Then we'll hold the asylum hearing and either let them into the United States or deport them from there. Well, the Biden administration has been repeatedly ordered by courts to continue enforcing that, but its own records show it has willfully thumbed its nose at those ruling as it waits for a final crack at the U.S. Supreme Court. Customs and Border Protection Agency data reviewed by several different agencies shows just 199, 199 of the 221,303 illegals stopped by federal agents in March alone, only 199 were placed into the Migrant Protection Protocol, the formal name of the Remain in Mexico policy. Border Patrol press office in D.C. didn't respond, but a senior Homeland Security official confirmed the 199 figure was accurate for May, excuse me, for March. That amounts to a minuscule 0.09% of participation in MPP. An enforcement percentage border expects, say, makes a mockery of the court's orders. They only enrolled a couple of hundred in the remain in Mexico while they apprehended 221,000. Former Border Patrol Commissioner Mark Morgan said that. He added the Biden administration, even when it enforces the regulation, is not applying it to the loophole it was designed to close. Migrant group posing as a fake family unit. They're not even applying the Remain in Mexico program to the demographics it was designed to address. It's all a joke. Both federal district and appeals judges have ordered the administration to keep enforcing this policy as a larger legal challenge is considered by the Supreme Court. Even the nation's nine justices refused to impose an injunction blocking the policy while they considered the case. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton, whose initial lawsuit led to the ruling, said the Biden administration's March performance is proof it's ignoring the court's authority. They're not willing to comply with the law. The reality is, Paxton said, we, we've had wins on Remain in Mexico on preliminary injunctions. They're supposed to be enforcing it. He added the biggest winners from the failure to enforce the policy the Mexican drug cartels. They're earning up to $10,000 for every illegal migrant they help traffic to the U.S. The cartels are basically in business with the Biden Foundation. The message has been sent to them. Bring as many as you can. We'll do the, the handoff. And these people are coming across. They're not running from the agents. They're running to the agents. So they'll be transferred to the agents And then the handoff can take place, and they can be sent all around the U.S. If you don't remember, just so you know, the Supreme Court once before upheld the legality of the Remain in Mexico policy under Trump. Arguments start next Tuesday, and a ruling is expected by the end of June. If the high court upholds the regulation again, the nation could face a constitutional crisis if Biden refuses to follow the justices' instructions. Uncle Joe, 
Uncle Joe. I wonder if he knows what's involved in this and how serious a deal it is. I got to be honest with you. They're right. If this is allowed to continue after the federal courts, lower courts have ordered it to be reinserted, the Remain in Mexico policy, and the Biden administration is ignoring it, once again, suborning the legality that's required for them to follow in the Constitution and the legally passed immigration laws. Where does these where do these people get this idea that they do not have to comply with laws that many of them were part of passing? And they were signed into law. How many Americans are monitoring the votes of their representatives in the House and their senators? How they vote on all these issues? What they say about all these issues? They all stump. They all get out there re-election time. They're talking to people in your commissions, your, your districts. They're talking to them. Hold them accountable. Ask the good questions. If Americans will start to do that, it's going to cause action to take place. Now, the action may be (laughs) that um, you get censored, (laughs) uh, you get thrown in jails in some cases if you get too quote-unquote violent or if you express your opinion too loudly. So just just be careful. Listen, I want you to have a good weekend. I want you to enjoy who you're with. I want you to enjoy where you're going and what you're doing. Don't forget Saturday bullet points tomorrow morning, wrap up of the week. And of course, we'll be back on Monday morning, 9 a.m. Have a good one, folks. See you then.